promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages, let His praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing. I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fears assail. God, I shall prevail. I'm standing on the promises of God. I'm standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. I'm standing, standing, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of Christ, my
love that song, church, because it reminds me that my praise is a choice. We're not forced to do this. <laughs> and we can even come here um, to this building and just sing the songs and not actually be praising, right? And so, so this choice here, um, there, there is joy and there is beauty here. And I'm remi- I was reminded this week of Jesus and his choice. Because as I read here, I chose the, the Luke, Luke version of this. Um, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. We know, we know the end of that story and we know that Jesus made the right choice. But it wasn't tied to his emotion because he wasn't feeling it, right? And how powerful that this, this choice that we have is not tied to our emotion because neither is God's. Because I don't know about you, I have a lot of points in my life in a weekly basis that I, I really mess up. And I yell at my kids a little too harshly and I, I have to ask for forgiveness. Or I've stored up feelings in my heart, bitterness towards a person and I have to ask for for forgiveness in that matter. And I am so thankful that Jesus's choice was not dependent on how he felt about me in that moment or felt about what he was having to go through. That helps me make this choice now. I love pairing these songs together because our choice to praise um, is, is like the posture of our heart that I will look up for there's none above you. I will bow down to tell you that I need you. I will look back and see that he's faithful. Church, can I get a testimony? Is he faithful? Has he been faithful in your life? Amen. I will look ahead believing that you're able. Church, this is our choice. Let us sing and declare it loudly this morning.
together. Oh God, you have prepared for those who love you as surpass our understanding. Pour into our hearts such love towards you that we, loving you in all things and above all things, may obtain your promises, which exceed all that we can desire through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever. Good morning, church. If you have stepped foot in any kind of a store recently, I'm sure that you have been well aware that today was coming. The aisles are overflowing with flowers and chocolates and candies, and the cards, I mean, they're overflowing. It seems like you can't even check out with them saying, did you remember mom? Did you remember her? And so if you've spent some time in the past couple weeks looking through the card aisles, you may feel as you look that there is just a card for every situation. It just seems like they just know exactly what to say. Except for then I open some of the cards and I think, well, to be honest, sending this to my mom might actually be a lie. <laughs> this, this one isn't entirely honest at all. And then... I start to think, and I think back to years that it was really hard for me sometimes to pick out a card because I, I wanted to be truthful, but I also didn't want to send her something that she would open and think, well, this isn't true. And then I was even looking more, and I'm like, you know what? There really isn't a card for every situation because there's really no cute, flowery way to send someone a card to wish them a, a happy Mother's Day, the first Mother's Day that they're celebrating when their mom has passed away. There's not really a, a cute, funny, adorable way to remind someone yet again that another year has gone by and their dreams have been unfulfilled. And I just got to think about how, like Amy said, I wonder how many people today comes up with so much more dread than excitement and anticipation? And, and what is our answer to that as the church, as this family that has gathered together? Um, I'm reminded of Romans 12, 15, which says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. A holiday like Mother's Day, it's often easy to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. The commercials all show it. Everyone's happy. It seems picture perfect. But today, can we consider the reality of living in this very broken world? And that that is merely a charade of the reality of what most of us experience in our own relationships with our moms and then even sometimes as a mom. So today, I just want you to know, and I encourage you, can we gather around each other and let's, can we support each other as you're maybe struggling with your relationship with your mom? We want to encourage you as you wonder maybe what the next year will bring for your family. We're hopeful with you as those unfulfilled dreams have not yet come true. Do you know that as a church family, we want to wait with you in that wilderness, those dark nights of the soul when you are searching and searching and it just seems so empty. We're waiting, we're waiting with you. We're grieving with you as you experience today for the first time without your mom. 
We're praying for you. As you maybe are the mom waiting to hear from your child. And we remember the children that have been lost this year. We love you. I know that today can be so hard and heavy. And know that we see you. We love you. And even more than that, like Amy said, Jesus loves you. He carries it all, and none of, none of our pain here is wasted. So, church, can we be a place of refuge? The world out there today is celebrating, but can we remember that it's brokenness that brings us to the cross, and it's brokenness that binds us together as a family? I have one more verse to share with you this morning, and this is um, from 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 through 18. It says, Therefore we do not lose heart, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, church, let's fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen. Because what we see is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I could invite Pastor Paul to share. Thank you, Mara, for that powerful reminder of the emotions of this day. It is an emotional day, and there's high emotions both ways as we, uh, we weigh into Mother's Day. Uh, you know, it's, uh, for, for some, there's a lot of celebration. For some, there's a lot of pain, and, and we understand that. It's, 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 a, it's a hard day and a good day all at the same time, and that's kind of life, isn't it? You know, when we come to Mother's Day, I always think of um, the card I got Terry the one time. Um, I got Terry a stepmother card for me. It started, you didn't start out mom to both of us, and it made perfect sense in my shopping, uh, but it didn't make a lot of sense after I saw what I had done. And of course, I'm here in my, my, my Mother's Day suit. Once again, I promise no birthday suits. I'm in my Mother's Day suit uh, with my bow tie, but you know what that means. That means on Father's Day, I'm wearing the jorts and the white socks, Okay. <laughs> in honor of fathers, and, uh, and so it's, it, that's why I'm in the suit today. I don't always wear a suit if you're visiting with us. You can see that the, um, we're done with, with the substantial part of our, our remodeling of our stage. There's still the cross to go up in the middle, and we're excited about that, and some minor things, some carpet, but we really appreciate Ryan's hard work and, and, and coordinate. Yeah, it looks really good, and we, a lot of storage, and yeah. I know these things are hard to visualize and, and you know, what's this going to look like? I, I think it looks really good and I really appreciate Ryan's hard work. The only thing I ask him is why isn't there a puppet stage so I could have part of my sermon dialogue with like a donkey or something? Wouldn't that be like awesome? Okay, yeah. So we got one yes for that. Uh, but we, we still have work to do in here. You know, we, we still have to do carpet and, you know, consider other things that, that maybe need to happen. And so we're excited about the changes. And, and we, we believe that over the past year, there's been substantial updates in the appearance of, of the church. Not that it looked bad, but just updates and renewals all the way from where you enter into here. And so we're excited about that. Excited about the next stages as well. Uh, aren't you glad that we're not finished? Okay, you aren't. Uh, we're not finished, folks, and we, we still there's still things that need to happen in our building, and just be prayerful about that as we continue to move forward and continue to update. Um, uh, th this building is 28 years old, Harold, am I right? 28? Approximately 28 years old, and I believe this is original carpet, 
uh, in here. And so, you know, a lot of these things were, were time, and it's just uh, we're praising God that he gave us, he's given us 28 years on this carpet, and hopefully if we get another 28 years on the next carpet, it'll be another pastor that'll be up here talking to you about changes in the sanctuary, and I praise the Lord for that. Uh, but we're continuing our 40 series, and uh, we, we've been working on the 40 days, or looking at the 40 days after uh, Jesus was raised from the dead and before he has ascended into heaven. That's 40-day period. And we've been focusing particular, particularly on these narrative um, descriptions of Jesus' interactions with his disciples. And, and we've been dealing with this, this one simple ideal that we have been sent on a mission. Jesus was on a mission, and as he meets with the disciples after the resurrection for these 40 days, he, he's emphasizing with them, hey, I was sent, I was the first apostle, and now I am sending you. And, and we've been looking at what that that mission looks like. And we talked about the, the second week of the series that we're here to proclaim repentance. And, and then last week we talked about tending sheep. And, and Yvonne just showed me a picture. I quoted uh, Mother Teresa. Yvonne, ask her to show you. She's got a picture where she literally, she physically met Mother Teresa. And she's got a picture to prove it. And so uh, uh, that's awesome. And this week we're going to talk about the Great Commission. Next week we're going to talk about Acts 1. But this week we're going to talk about the Great Commission. Matthew 28, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." Now, before we begin to unpack this, understand that this is a passage that is deserving of a series all of itself, right? That, that we could spend three or four weeks or five weeks just in this passage and break it down. And we're going to spend one day in it. And so that means that we're not going to cover every aspect of this passage, but we're going to focus on this, go and make disciples, this is the phrase that we're going to focus on for the next few minutes. What does this mean when Jesus is saying, go and make disciples? Now, we've been dealing with this idea that, that Jesus was sent. Je Jesus was, was sent. He was the first apostle. And in the same way, Jesus sends us. And so we are apostles. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, you're an apostle. Go ahead, tell him you're an apostle. Matter of fact, put that, put that on your, your email address. Can say, Apostle Paul Mills, and people will really look weird at you, but you're an apostle, you're sent. And Jesus was sent, and Jesus preached repentance. That's one of the things Jesus did. And, and we are sent to proclaim repentance. And Jesus was sent to love. And last week we unpacked how Jesus really fully loved people. And Jesus was sent to make disciples. And we're sent to make disciples. And so it seems to me that as we think about this little phrase of being sent to make disciples, to go and make disciples, as we think about this phrase, what makes sense to me is that as we consider what that looks like, we should consider how Jesus made disciples. What, what, what was the nature of, of Jesus' ministry and, and, and what did he do with his disciples and how did he make disciples? So, so Jesus begins to teach. And as, as you might expect, Jesus was a great teacher. Jesus was a healer. 
Jesus performed miracles and, and people were gathering around him. And, and Jesus drew huge crowds. Discipleship is more than drawing a crowd. And I think it's important that we remember that in our church, that the point is not drawing a crowd. The point is discipleship, right? Uh, I think it was Bill Clinton that when he ran for president said, it's the economy, stupid. When that, it's discipleship, right? That's why we're here. The purpose of the church is not to gather as many people as we can and then send them out. But the purpose of the church is to accomplish discipleship. Discipleship is essential to our mission. <laughs> now, I'm just going to give you an aside here. So, so Stephanie puts together these three-minute videos, sermon videos. So I don't watch my whole sermons, but typically I'll watch my videos, three-minute sermons, and because it's kind of fun, just kind of, you know, she does such a great job with it. She makes me look a lot better than I am. And it's like, man, that, that's okay. And, and so I watch myself, and what I realize is I use my hands way too much, all right? And so now I'm very self-conscious. All right, what was I talking about? So there's all these individuals around Jesus. Jesus has drawn this huge crowd. And, 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 but Jesus doesn't try to disciple the entire crowd. Uh, Jesus teaches and, and does what he can, and you know, he's an influence, and he does all these things. But, but Jesus invests very heavily in 12, the apostles. And before Jesus invests in these 12, it tells us in the scripture, in the gospels, that Jesus went and spent significant time in prayer. In other words, you can say, hey, hey, who wants to be the 12? Jesus was very particular, intentional, with regard to the 12 that he chose to be the 12 disciples or apostles. So the first thing I want you to see is this. Discipleship is intentional. Jesus was intentional in his discipleship, and he calls us to be intentional as well. So, so what should we do? Some questions to ask ourselves. Who are you in relationship with? What, what, what opportunities have you been given in those relationships? Have you prayed for God's guidance in the midst of those relationships? And, and this is a hard one because I, I got to tell you, some, some of these questions, you know, these are questions for me as well. Do you pray even a short prayer before conversations, particularly significant conversations? You know, I, I don't want to make this harder than it should be, uh, but relationships matter. Conversations, the conversations we have with people matter. As a matter of fact, if there's, if there's hurts in, these, in this room that you still remember, it's probably more related to the words that were said than physical injury. Conversations matter. And discipleship, intentional discipleship, occurs in the midst of conversation and relationship. 
And so since intentional uh, discipleship occurs in that setting, it should be taken seriously. We should be intentional about it. Jesus was. So you have Jesus and his disciples. And and the Sea of Galilee, where where Jesus begins his ministry, where he's calling these fishermen, where he most likely calls uh, Matthew the tax collector, this is all around the Sea of Galilee. The the Sea of Galilee is about 15 miles from Nazareth, where where Jesus uh, grew up. And so there's questions, you know, 15 miles is a pretty significant uh, distance in, in this time. So it's not like it was right next door, but, you know, it's potential that, the, that they could have lived there and worked at the sea and, and had connections there as well. And there's questions whether Jesus had previous connections with his disciples. You know, he, he's part of this ministry, or he, this ministry flows out of the ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a cousin of Jesus, so it's not unlikely that some of those people that have gathered around John the Baptist are related to John the Baptist, and in the same way related to Jesus. So there's, there could be some family connections. There, there's some speculation among theologians and historians that there's actually maybe even a cousin or two of Jesus among his disciples. But at the very least, the disciples, the ones that he chose, were within groups of individuals that would have known each other. As a matter of fact, you have brothers <laughs> that, that are part of this group. And, and so there, there are these natural relationships. And, and although discipleship is intentional, it flows most naturally from our existing relationships. The discipleship is not separate from real life, but it's connected to real life. And that's why Jesus uses this significant phrase. He he doesn't say, go and make disciples. He says, in your going. In other words, in your natural day-to-day life, we should be in the process of discipleship. In our natural day-to-day relationships and conversations, one of the things that should be going on is this process of discipleship, of building the kingdom, of building Christ into people. Jesus is at Peter's house. <laughs> and, and we read over this, and, and, G, and Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And, and so Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law so she can serve him and help him. Uh, the, the significance of this is this. Jesus is in his home, and they've gathered in his home. This isn't some outside setting. This isn't some classroom environment. But Jesus is sitting in the home of Peter the fisherman. Discipleship happens in day-to-day life. Jesus is just with them. You know, they've given up their occupation. They're being funded somehow. And they're moving around and they're observing Jesus. And they're watching how he lives and how he preaches and all these things. He's just with them. And discipleship is occurring in that context. You know, I love the upper room discourse before Jesus is crucified. In the upper room, if you've ever read The Secrets of the Vine, in the upper room discourse, Jesus, they, they sing a hymn, 
and then Jesus says, let us go. <laughs> and it's kind of it's, it's hidden there, so it's almost like this is still occurring in the upper room. And, and then in the midst of this, Jesus says, let's go. And then all of a sudden, he's talking about a vine. If you read The Secrets of the Vine, uh, I believe it's Bruce Wilkerson points out that probably what's going on is Jesus is walking down the road and he's walking down, as he's walking down the road, he looks and there's a grapevine because they would have been all over Jerusalem. And he begins to tell this little story using the grapevine as an example as he's walking with his disciples down the road. See, discipleship is more than a Sunday morning class. It's more than a small group. You know, I, I appreciate small groups. I appreciate uh, Sunday school classes. But true discipleship occurs in the midst of the week as well. That, that is why as a church, why as a pastor, I, I use this phrase, and I, I hope that we value this ideal of relational discipleship. It's not just investing information in people, but it's doing life together in a way so that we can see what it means. Not just the information, but what the information means to our day-to-day -day life. I've heard it said, and I think it's true, we have all the information we can handle. What we need is meaning. <laughs> and I believe meaning is found when we apply that information in the way we live our day-to-day lives, doing life together, learning together. Now, now, I'm part of a small group, and my small group is not perfect. Its leader is not perfect, me, okay? But, you know, some, sometimes it's not always, uh, it's not easy to meet like we would like, and so, you know, we, we, we have times where we're meeting really good, and then times it's really a struggle, and, but, but we have a group text, and uh, Nicole has called us the coolest small group ever. So, so I think we win the prize because of Nicole's label. Um, in our group, I heard one no from another small group. We'll, we'll talk about that later. In our group, we have a mix of ages. We have a mix of ages and life experiences in our group. Collectives are a starting point for relationships. Well, we believe the collectives are essential, but we believe the collectives are not the end in of themselves, but they're beginning, the beginning of a relationship because I believe something powerful happens when generationally, across generations, we interact and disciple one another. I think there's a value to that. We are blessed to be a church that is multi-generation. Look around the room, folks. We have people of every demographic and age in this room. That is an awesome thing. And there's many churches you go to on a Sunday morning, and you will not see that. We are blessed with a multi-generational church. But, but there's value in each generation. And if those generations do not connect and interact and disciple one another, we lose that shared intelligence, that shared value, that shared meaning. And so the collectives, maybe you're a younger person saying, well, I don't want to be part of the collectives. Maybe you're an older person saying, I don't want to be part of the collectives. The collectives are a starting off point so that you can build relationships. And in, in my vision for our community, a, a relationship that is beyond generation where we are engaged relationally.
Now, now I believe that's God's vision for our church as well. I, I believe it's not just God's vision for our church, but I believe it's God's vision for his church. The church would be this unique organization where across generations, uh, across experience, across race and gender, that, that people could gather and connect because the common cause is not preference, but the common cause is Jesus, right? Boy, I thought I'd get one amen for that. Thank you. The common cause of this body is not what we want, but the common cause of this body is Jesus. And the common motivating emotion or drive or act is love. So we let go of preferences at times so we can love across generations. Bonhoeffer, and I used this quote at our uh, meeting last week, that Bonhoeffer says, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. If we can just simply love beyond anything else, but just love, God can build relationships across all sorts of barriers in our congregation. Discipleship is modeled. Anybody ever have a parent that say, don't do what I say, do what I, don't do what I do, do what I say? Anybody ever say that as a parent? Shame on you if you have. Uh, you know, that doesn't work, right? We understand this concept of, hey, you do what I say, not what I do, doesn't work. And it doesn't work in our homes, and it doesn't work in discipleship either. Christianity, following Jesus, and I've heard this phrase, and, you know, faith is as much caught as it is taught. That, 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 that a lot of my faith was not just what mom and dad said, but it was kind of caught in the home. And so discipleship becomes this place where it's easily caught. Uh, forgiveness is best learned by watching someone forgive. Generosity is best learned by being around generous people. Service is best learned by being with people who serve. All of these things. And so discipleship is not just things that we say, but it's things that we do together. Um, Bob Goff, in his book, Love Does, uh, says, I'm not doing any more Bible studies. I'm doing Bible do groups. <laughs> that I, you know, and, and the truth is, in the church, uh, oftentimes we begin to, to fall in this rut of just getting information, getting information, getting information. And God is calling us to this point where we're taking that information and applying it to life. And so discipleship is best caught rather than taught. Now, you kind of see this in John 13. In, in John 13, Jesus is... Um, He's with the disciples. It's the last night. He's going to be with them before the cross. And, and so, it, you know, John's, and it's amazing. John writes this and includes this. Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not include there in their narrative, in their narratives, this story of Jesus washing their feet. Um, I've always wondered about that. Why does John include it, but the other gospels do not include it? It's such a significant passage. And, and, and what I think, as, as I've, Consider this, John is one of the later 
um, Gospels. I believe John's looking back and remembering the significance of it, and the other Gospel writers miss it because this was just what Jesus did. That he did stuff like this all the time. But all of a sudden it's coming together for John. And he's thinking about the significance of what Jesus did on that night. And Jesus takes out a, a basin of water and begins to wash the disciples' feet. He comes to Peter and, and, and Peter's saying, hey, you're not going to wash my feet. Although Peter's not volunteering to wash anybody's feet himself. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part. He said, well, then wash my whole body. <laughs> and Jesus he goes into this dialogue, well, hey, if part of the man's clean, and you know, that, that, that's not the point. You're missing the point, Peter, uh, once again. Anybody ever been in Peter's place where you just missed the point, right? Uh, I've been there before. And Jesus says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. In other words, Jesus said, I'm doing this so you can have a concept and an ideal that, that this is what it's all about, this ideal of serving. You know, Peter's so significant in the narrative and the Gospels. And, and, and this discipleship process with Peter is, um, is played out so fully that I think you could just look at Peter and, and say, man, that, that is a pretty effective discipleship plan for him. P Peter first meets Jesus, and he's fishing, and Jesus encounters him. He has this great uh, hole of fish, and Jesus gives this. Peter says, oh, depart from me. I'm just a sinner. You know, don't, don't, don't even hang around me. And and Jesus stays with him, and, and then you have this great confession of Peter. You know, Jesus says, who, who do people say that I am? And they're giving all these answers, and then finally Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God. And Jesus says, that didn't come from anybody but the Holy Spirit, and you are Peter, you are the rock, and upon this confession, my church will be built. And you have... Peter in the upper room, and Jesus is talking about the cross, and Peter's saying, I'll die for you. You know, we, I won't fall away. And, Peter, and Jesus says, listen, before the cock crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And, and, and then that night, Jesus is arrested, and he pulls out a sword to defend Jesus in the garden, lops off somebody's ear, just missed, right? Lops off an ear. And, and he's, you know, he's ready to fight. And then the next thing you know, he's in the garden. And he's denying him. And then we saw last week Jesus in John 21 coming to Peter once again and discipling him. Discipleship encompasses the ups and downs of life. If you truly disciple people, there will be times that they fail you. Anybody ever felt anybody? Raise your hand. Every hand should be raised in this congregation. And in discipleship, there'll be times that the people that you are called, that God has placed in your life to disciple, they will fail you. And yet, Jesus just continued and he calls us to do the same. You know, what I found out about God in my life, and I think this is true, 
God never calls us to do anything. He does not give us the ability and the opportunity to do. <laughs> God says forgive, and, and the truth is, almost every day of my life, there is an opportunity to forgive, right? God calls me to be patient, and almost every day of my life, there's an opportunity to be patient. God calls me to be generous. You, know, you can fill any blank in. God, when God calls us to do things, it's not just out there, but God calls us and gives us opportunities. God has placed people in your life you're intended to disciple. There's people there that, that God has placed in your life that he is expecting, hoping, wanting you to disciple. Um, this is respond time in our sermon time. Um, you know, we'll have the QR code up there for you. If, if, if maybe, maybe there's a prayer request. Maybe there's something. Maybe there's, there's somebody you're praying for. You want us to join you in praying. Maybe there's, there's a question. Maybe there's something that you're struggling with that you want to share. Maybe there's a, a way that, that, that you see the church could move forward in, in, in some of our intergenerational connection. Maybe there's some way you can communicate with me. There's cards in the rack. There, the, the, the tithes and offerings are response. You understand that, right? That, that when, when offering plates are passed, it's intended that that's a, a responding time in the sermon. And, and so we have boxes in the back of the church. And, and so we don't give as, a, um, as like paying dues. You know, we don't tithe uh, to gain admission. We don't give. We're not generous. But we give in response to God. That, that God has given, and we realize you can't give out, out give God, and we give back to him. All these things are responses. The altar is a place of response. It's a place to talk to God, to respond to him, to, to, to maybe deal with something in your life that's related to sermon that maybe is not related to sermon. On this Sunday morning, there's people that have come to this place in various states. And, and, and what I've found as a pastor is oftentimes the, the sermon is directly for you. But, but for some of you, God may be dealing with other things in your life that, that you really need to deal with. And the altar is in a place to respond. Maybe there's somebody you're trying to disciple and, and they just don't seem to be getting. And, and the altar is this place where we can lift prayers for others. You know, I talked about my dream for our church. Here's another dream I have for our church. I dream that we'll become a place where response is natural and expected. That, that when God moves, there's not, there has to be arm twisting, but, 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 but we're just ready to respond. And, and I got to tell you, altars are a great place for that. And, and great moves that I've seen in churches have typically not happened simply in the pews, but with people responding physically to pray at altars. Can I get an amen to that? I've seen great moves. And what I found about those moves, they're contagious. That, that oftentimes my obedience inspires someone else's in obedience. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Is God speaking?
If he is, would you consider just maybe moving forward? And then I'm going to close this in prayer in just a moment or two. Here we are, Lord. We want to be in tune with your spirit. Lord, I want to be in tune with your spirit. I don't want there to be anything between you and me. Lord, I want to hear your voice. I want to be tender to your, to your call. I, I want to be responsive to your spirit. Not just in these moments, but outside these walls. Lord, I, I believe this, um, this call to disciple is a call that um, too often we've neglected. We've seen this, this space here as the end, and it's not. Lord, as we um, go to our tables and we eat and we sit down with our kids and those we love and our friends, Lord, those are opportunities to disciple. Lord, some of us will go into an office tomorrow and we'll, we'll have people that we um, encounter in those office spaces that um, you're giving us space and opportunity to share the good news of you, to, to share what it means to live in the kingdom, to, 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 to begin to understand what God wants for us, not from us. And Lord, we can, we can go to church and we can, we can give money and we can serve in programs and, and do all those things. But if we miss those opportunities, the church becomes stagnant, becomes dead. So Lord, I pray that you'll open our eyes, not just for the opportunities here. There's opportunities here. But Lord, you'll open our eyes to the harvest I think of Jesus and the disciples. And the disciples looked around at people that were scattered and lonely and broken. And they saw the task and it was too much. But Jesus looked at the crowd. He said, the harvest is ready. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out people to harvest. That's what I'm praying for our church. Lord, may we see that the fields are ripe, that people are broken, that people are searching for hope and meaning and significance and something better than what we're experiencing. And Lord, you have given us, you have given us this gift of the kingdom, not just for our private domain and not just for our private consumption, but you have given us the gift of the kingdom so that we can, in our going, be making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. So now, Lord, be with us. Help me, Lord, to be aware 
open my eyes, to open my ears, to, to be aware of what's going on around me to the extent that, Lord, I'll not just go through the motions, but I'll, I'll fulfill this commission, this, this mission that you've sent me on. Now, Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. And, and we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will enable us and fill in the gaps in our life that prevent us from living true to this command. And Lord, as we go from this place, may we be salt, may we be light, may we make disciples. And all the church said, amen. God bless, folks. You are dismissed.